0: Welcome back to another episode of the Garden of Glass podcast presented by the Hope Farm. I'm your host, Bentley Evans, and today I have our executive chef, Adam Stevens, with me. Welcome.
1: Thank you, sir. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, man. I'm happy to have you. Um, there's a lot to talk about, a lot of fun things going on on the culinary side of things. Um, I guess, start off, give us a little bit of your background, kind of what brought you here.
1: So, most of my career was spent in in Colorado between some five-star, 5 diamond hotels and restaurants through Denver. Uh, made my way down to Houston. I was running a fi- uh, 15,000 square foot steakhouse down there, uh, kind of looking for an opportunity to get back into fine dining, find something that, you know, was felt a little bit more real. Um, I've been cooking at, at home since I was about eight years old. Uh, kind of caught that bug when I was young and did some charity work, caught a passion for it. Right. just never stopped.
0: Nice. And so, we obviously, we, we found you and, and, and brought you in from Houston. You kind of came in. We, uh, I think, kind of hit it off right off the bat. Um, it was, you know, obviously your cooking was great, but it was more so about the person you are and kind of how you fit into our family. And I think it was pretty seamless. So, uh, again, happy that you're here. Yeah, me too. Um, so, I guess, give me your first impression of the Hope farm. Kind of what was the, uh, you know, those deciding, defining characteristics brought you here?
1: Uh, I mean, kind of the same way that y'all felt uh, I I did in turn as well. Uh, I hit it off really well with the team, with the kitchen team, with you and the rest of the management team and ownership. And it kind of felt like it was a good place to start as another home. You know, everywhere, especially in restaurants where everything is, you know, it's so passion-based and everything can be so you know, so strenuous, you want to find a place that feels natural and feels like home. And that's what this place felt like to me. Just right. the property was beautiful. Everybody seemed to have the same goal. And everybody was very courteous and kind. And that, that goes a long way for
0: people. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, coming into a, a, a kind of a somewhat of established family, and you're kind of the new guy in that, and you're kind of coming into a role that's mm. a leadership role, kind of what's what's that what's that transition like?
1: I, there's always kind of a touch and go period where you're you kind of wonder to yourself like okay well is this going to work am I going to fit in and I think that that sort of transition period was a lot it was shortened drastically right. in this experience just because of how welcoming everybody was. Right. You always get a little nervous especially when you're jumping so far out of your comfort zone moving to a different state things like that but it's important to me to embrace that change and understand that that's something that should be, you know, a uncomfortable, constant sometimes. Right.
0: Have you, have you always been, or I guess you haven't always been kind of like this farm to table concept, kind of like this one, obviously you, you have multiple backgrounds mm-hmm. and things um, is farm to table kind of one of the things that drew you here. Obviously we have the farm attached to this kind of, you have some power over what we grow and yeah. that, that, you know, creativity side of things.
1: I think that's always a, a a dream for a chef is to have that sort of product at his disposal or at their disposal so that you can manipulate with the seasons and you know exa- exactly the, the quality of the product, when it's going to be ready, how it's going to be ready, what it's going to look like, what it's going to taste like. You can feel the soil. You can feel the dirt. You can grow it, see it. That is something that not everybody has the opportunity to see, you know, and right. it's it's an incredible thing to be able to work with and have the people, you know, everybody kind of pulling into that.
0: Yeah, it's been it's been fun to see kind of your take, your creative side, kind of what, what the impact you've made on the on the kitchen team and and uh, how you utilize the the farm and the mushrooms in particular. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm a partial to those. And, yeah, um, it's been fun to see the, the creations that you've come up with. Um, so I'm going to take this time real quick to talk about the cocktail of the episode. Um, this one we are calling the Nutty Espresso, and uh, so it's got a shot of espresso. It's got an ounce of uh, Irish whiskey. One ounce of Montenegro, uh half ounce of vanilla syrup, half ounce of heavy cream, and then a dash of angostura bitters. Um and you shake it over ice and you fine strain it into a glass and garnish it with some nutmeg. That's where I got the nutty part. Um it's pretty <laughs> It's uh it's pretty delicious. Um so cheers. cheers. I'll, I'll cheers you with my uh my water here. I'm giving you the cocktail. It's about ten thirty in the morning. It's espresso though, so mm. it's 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 mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> that's good thanks thanks for drinking that I appreciate mm-hmm. it <laughs> all right so I guess uh, let's dive into the food here um what do you think makes it currently kind of stand out from the from the areas around here um and kind of what, what makes it unique you think
1: well I think the obvious you know first answer is the fact that we have so much of it that we're growing in-house you know uh, that's a huge thing that we can you know it's it is legitimately as farm to tables can get you know A lot of people, when you say farm to table, all food is farm to table. It comes from a farm. Sure. I think what separates this restaurant is how close that farm is, you know, from 50 feet to, you know, 50 miles. That's about the range is how far we pull most of the product. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things that really lets us stand out. And I think that, you know, the the structure and the way that the, the restaurant's built out and the dining experience is something that massively sets us apart from everywhere else aside from that, we have, you know, a very young team that I think is curious and passionate. And I think that, you know, after a little bit of time, we're going to start to see a lot of growth from them. And it's going to reflect in having kind of a new blood themed menu.
0: Right. And and obviously, you know, we, we kind of call it back there, we refer to it as the culinary team. Mm-hmm. And so kind of leading some something like that, that where you you give everybody you empower them to give them opportunities to kind of, you know, create their own dishes, and and they kind of price everything out. They go through the whole process. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the, I guess, advantages? And then I'm sure it comes with some disadvantages at times. What, what are kind
1: of some of those? So the advantage when you're allowing that kind of creative flow through a kitchen is that you do sometimes you get these gems that you wouldn't really expect from a younger staff or a newer staff that's not as tenured or experienced, right. uh, which is it's refreshing. It's something that you kind of expound on and teach them. You have that growing and learning mo- moment with them where it might not be a completely cohesive idea yet, but you get the bones to something that could eventually turn to something really great right uh, alternatively with the challenges sometimes they come up with weird things <laughs> <Right>. so <laughs> you have to be, you have to find a way to take that and and teach uh, and show them how to make something cohesive out of something because you don't want to shut down ideas it it sure. it doesn't create a really healthy culture creatively so you want to be able to foster their ideas into something that makes sense and something that the guest will enjoy
0: i like that i think uh, obviously you know we we try not to you know, uh, put ourselves in any, any cuisine in particular. And I think obviously that's probably something that's beneficial when you have multiple people from different cultural backgrounds that want to kind of put their little flair on, on a dish, allowing them to do that. I think, um, you know, that's probably one of the things that, that stands out from the others, but as far as, I guess (laughs) I'm answering my own question here, I guess that's the benefit of, of allowing people to kind of be this, this culinary team back there.
1: When drawing from multiple cultures and and different styles of food and cuisine has a lot of advantage, a lot of different advantages. They, for a long time, people were kind of hung up on the whole fusion food idea. Well, the thing is our whole country is based off of fusion, right? It's all a melting pot. And in, in the end, it's all, you know, we've, we're a country built off of immigrants. So, It's really, it's all American food, you know, at this point in time. So we're not necessarily fusing different things. We're trying to keep things that, you know, that should feel authentic, authentic. But A lot of it's going to be technique-based. You know, we'll employ a lot of Thai technique or French technique or Italian technique into profiles that are a little bit more terroir, that are a little bit more based in in the Gulf area and the Eastern Shores area and what we grow here on the farm. Gotcha. I like it. So
0: the creative process. When you sit there and, you know, we have something on the table, you're trying to
1: come up with new menu items, what's that that process look like? So I usually draw inspiration from very basic things, colors, shapes, singular ingredients, center of the plate ingredients, things like that. So if it'll usually be like walk out through the garden, kind of see what's coming in, know what's going to be in season. And I'm still kind of learning the seasons in South Alabama because they're a little different from here to Colorado to Texas. (laughs) Right. But, um, Shapes, colors, singular ingredients, and then I'll find something and I'll usually latch onto that. Mm -hmm. And that's what starts the process. So let's say it's let's say it's we got a great goldfish coming in. You know, let's say it's grouper, it's snapper, whatever it may be, and it's peak season and they're nice and they're big and they're Mm -hmm. real pretty. We'll start with that and then thinking about branching out, okay, well what do you have on the farm that we're gonna be able to feature with this? If it's let's say it's the hakuri turnips, let's say it's heirloom carrots, Mm -hmm. anything like that. Okay, well how do we manipulate these ingredients or do the least amount of manipulation to create something cohesive with this fish. Sure. And that's kind of the process it starts. And, you know, again, you're just kind of looking through, you know, you create a database in your head, a, a mental palette, as it were, and you go through that and figure out what direction you want to go. And then after that, put it together, and then you start tasting people on it. So I like to get everybody from the line cooks, the prep cooks, the dishwashers, in the kitchen to kind of taste through everything and get a broad opinion. And after we've come to a conclusion that, hey, this, you know, I think this is a good dish and then we'll start tasting with other people and take it to the front of house and go from there. And it's important to get everybody's opinion because everybody's palate is different. Right. You know, we're not cooking for ourselves. We're cooking for guests and that's what we have to remember. Right. So that's how you reach that. Like, this is it.
0: This is the final dish moment. Mm -hmm. It's like everybody kind of gives their take on it. But if so, someone gives you some negative feedback, other people give you positive feedback. You kind of weed through it. Like, you know, what's that? Uh,
1: It's, you know, there's an ebb and flow to it. You know, some people may not like it. Some people may like it. Usually people are pretty honest with you. And let's say, I don't like this because I'm not a fan of fish or I'm not a fan of carrots. Okay. Well, you know, I respect that, but you know, it's, you know, then we're going to kind of defer to everybody else's opinion, who is partial to things like grouper or carrots or turnips, whatever it may be. And as long as deep down, we know that we are executing this dish to the best of our ability and showcasing the ingredients to the best of our ability, knowing that, it's going to be something that's going to be received well by the guests. Then we move forward.
0: Right. And at the end of the day, you look at the product mix and it kind of yeah, tells, tells exactly. the story. Yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously when you're, when you're creating these things, you have a, uh, you know, an experience that you want the guest to perceive mm-hmm. of this dish. Um, you know, how is that one of the toughest parts about creating a dish? Is it, is delivering on that experience that you have in your head that they're going to have or, you know, so
1: it takes a long time, in this industry, to get to a point where you properly understand the mechanics of food. I mean, I think it took all of my 20 years to get to the point where I can wholeheartedly put something on a plate and say to myself, like, I know this is going to work. I've tasted through it. The staff has tasted through it. And I feel like the guest is going to enjoy it. Um, You're not going to win everyone. Some people just have personal preferences or they didn't know what they were getting into. You can't win them all. And that's not the point. You know, the point isn't to make everybody happy off of one dish. The point is to make sure that everybody has the same incredible experience every time from the service to the food to everything else. So as long as we are doing in our pain and in our heart of hearts, what is best by the product we're doing and what's best for the guest, it's usually a win. I like it. Um, so as far as,
0: you know, the most difficult thing about
1: being a chef, mm-hmm. what would you say? People, people, <laughs> people. Uh, I mean, in a, in a, in a COVID and post COVID world, you know, you know, having staff members, understanding your staff members needs while trying to take care of the business is usually the, the most, um, the most trying endeavor that you'll find because nowadays you don't manage a team of people anymore. You manage a group of individuals and that's where you have to have some insight on people's lives and know what, you know, what they're feeling, what they're thinking, how they need to be managed, how they need to be coached and led and everybody's going to be very different. So trying to use one singular management style or leadership style doesn't work anymore. And it can be a little polarizing sometimes. And right. I think that's something that people will eventually adapt to, and I've gotten a lot better at it in my last 10 years out of necessity. You know, people change the way the world operates and the way that people think change, and yeah. you have to adapt to that, and that's what we're trying to do here.
0: Yeah, I think you're doing a great job of creating a good culture back there. Obviously, during this these times, um, employee retention is, yeah. a, is a main uh, focus. Um, what are some things that you think are are motivating factors or things that, that – you know, keep people here.
1: I, I've always based based this off of a single theory of you need money, respect, and education. Um, those three things will, if you can include all three of those, you will have good retention. People need to get paid, and everybody knows that mm-hmm. you don't work for free. Uh, it's not how the world is. Right. Um, you need to feel like you're respected and listened to. So you need to have a leadership team that pays attention to you and they answer your questions respectfully and give you the why. And then education. People need to feel like they're growing and learning. And if you hit all three of those marks, then it's. I think it's very rare outside of some, you know, outliers that you don't have good retention. I agree with that.
0: So I want to uh, jump into. Obviously, we touched on it in the past podcast before um, the build out of the barn. It's going to be the barn at the Hope Farm. We got a, kind of a concept going in there. We're going to build a kitchen in the backside of it. The front side's going to be um, potentially. A lunch service, um, and then maybe even to like in the evening times doing some progressive
1: menus and mm-hmm. such. Um, kind of, you know, what, what are you most excited about with that? Uh, I mean, I feel like this would be almost any chef's answers. I'm excited about the progressive dinners. Yeah. You know, um, oh, it's always a dr- most people always have a dream to have something where you can do tasting menus and really showcase local ingredients and showcase your abilities and your team's abilities and grow because those sort of those sort of events, it's a constant growth process because you're constantly pushing the envelope to not replicate, to make sure that you're kind of, you know, pushing the envelope a little, challenging people, uh, not just your staff, but the guests who kind of experience something different that they otherwise might not have seen or or heard of or done. Like with the Valentine's Day menu that we're working on. You know, there's a lot of people that have seen it after we posted it on social and They've never seen anything like that in this area right. um, to have something here that that is the norm is we're always challenging and pushing and doing something new is super exciting because you don't get that in a lot of large cities. You don't get that in, you know, a large, you know, where it's approachable when people can come, they feel comfortable doing it, sure. but it still pushes it in a different direction. So that for me is very exciting. Yeah, I'm most excited about that, too. I mean, yeah. more so I, I want to be on the on the receiving end of that <laughs> yeah,
0: coming there for a dinner and, and get the whole experience. So I'm excited about that. All right, so, so let me know kind of what is the driving factor behind you wanting to become a chef?
1: Well, when I was young, to be honest, and my mother will take full credit for this, she was not a good cook. <laughs> <laughs> she, we, There's a lot of microwave down there, not to any fault she was a busy woman. Uh, right. Just wasn't a whole lot of cooking at home. So when I was about eight years old, I pulled down her old red and white Betty Crocker cookbook, and she, you know she indulged me and I just started cooking like whole holiday hams for a family of three Right. things I had no business doing, but you know, she, she didn't have to cook it. So she was fine with it. Sure. Uh, kind of started there when I was very young and my first job when I was about 14, uh, 14, 15 years old was washing dishes, uh, with a buddy of mine at a place called missions training international It was a, a missionary training center in, in Palmer Lake, Colorado. Okay. And I'd wash dishes and then it was kind of cafeteria style. So I started prepping, cutting cheese, things like that. Yeah. Uh, and that was, you know, that lasted for a year or so. And then I kind of went and did the family business for a little while and kind of got caught doing some charity work that involved cooking. And I had always liked cooking at home and just kind of kept going. And, uh, my friend Tanya, uh, was talking to me one day and she's working at a restaurant called Nosh. And it was a new, uh, kind of fine dining, hip fine dining concept at one of the fine art centers. Mm-hmm. So I started there, and I worked from salads and kind of caught my way on to saute, and then I ended up running the line there for a little bit and then kind of made my way through a few other restaurants until I landed at a place called the Briarhurst. Uh, and I, that was the first real long-term job that I had. I uh, started as a banquet cook, and I was there for six years, and I ended up being uh, the executive sous chef and taking over for a little while before I went on to Five Star, Five Diamond Hotels. Um, the Briarhurst was my first kitchen home. I was there for a long time, and it was a very young crew. And when, honestly, we had no business running that restaurant. Um, I think I was twenty-one or twenty-two, and my boss was like twenty-six at the time. Yeah, running a property that did four weddings a day, and oh, full wow. curt service. And we, our whole staff was young, young. Yeah, yeah. But you know, we we worked really hard and you know, worked really well together, and had a really solid staff, and made it happen. And that was what really solidified it. And that's when I knew, like, this is what I'm doing.
0: Yeah. Forever. I would, uh, you know, as far as, you know, if you had to recommend to somebody kind of a, a path to take to, to become a chef mm-hmm. and to kind of get into that position, is that something you would, you would recommend they start from the very bottom or kind of what are your, what's your thoughts? Absolutely. Yeah. Um,
1: I think culinary school is built for some people and uh, a lot of other people that have longevity in this industry, they find it, uh, working their way up, yeah. um, you know, um, most successful people. I know some people went to culinary school, but most of the people that I personally know that are successful in this industry, they started as dishwashers. Yeah. That way, I mean, you experience, you have a better ability to empathize with your staff if you've worked every single station that they've worked in the past, you know, from dish to prep to banquets to burn in line for 12 hours a day, whatever it is, right. you know, you, you, you can say with all confidence that I, I'm telling you to do this, this certain way because I've experienced it. And this is why. Yeah. Uh, I think it's incredibly important to never skip any of those steps. Right.
0: I've asked, I've asked everybody this question. Do you, do you prefer to kind of get your inspiration, um, from books? Do you find like, who, who are some people in the industry that you've gotten inspired by? um,
1: Uh, since I was, well, when I was young, one of the first chefs that I, when I started reading their cookbooks that was super inspirational was Thomas Keller. He always has been. Uh, I mean, he's, he's the godfather of French cuisine in America, you know, um, so I've always had an incredible respect for the way that he leads his teams his food has always been very classy and his management style is always classy uh, and then more recently uh, one of the people that is David Kinch from Menresa in los gatos California uh, the way this man cooks is just insanely beautiful yeah uh, it's a lot of it's one of those things that I draw inspiration that I think you and I have briefly talked about yeah. that being the direction we go with the barn with some of the menus is their concept is, you know, a little bit broader because they have an entire farm at their disposal, but it's very similar. Walking along here, and that there's such a beauty in his menus and the way that he does food that it's something that's consistently drawing inspiration from. And then, lastly, one of my other favorite books I've been reading is Heartwood, which is a two-walled, all-open-fire restaurant in Tulum, Mexico, nice. and mostly just because it's gorgeous book. Yeah, it's incredibly beautiful. They have all their fish driven in by taxi. Same with their ice, uh, things like that. Just crazy what lengths they're going through to really express the, the location that they're cooking in.
0: Yeah. You know? So you would just recommend latching on to somebody that kind of gives you some inspiration, diving in?
1: I think that everybody should create a little bit of their own inspiration. I think, you know, you, you can adapt and learn from people's styles. And, you know, if you, of course, you should always try and find a great chef to work for, you know. But you should also always try and make sure you develop your own identity. Nobody wants to, you know, eat Thomas Keller Jr.'s food as much as they do Thomas <laughs> Keller. You know, sure, yeah. Have your, own, have your own identity and move in your own direction and find what drives you and what makes you, what makes you passionate about food. I like you know. that. That's a good approach. Um, all right, so what is your favorite herb Herb to work with? It's a loaded question. There's <laughs> so many herbs and so many different foods. Um, I, love, I love tarragon and I love chives. Okay. Uh, I I will overuse chives a lot because I like the sweet oniony flavor they have. And then, uh, whenever I'm cooking French or if I'm doing uh, any type of poultry, I use tarragon a lot. I like that honest flavor, the licorice flavor. Uh, it's a lot more subtle when you're using things like nice French tarragon. Right. And then I do like honest hyssop. That's kind of a fun one that doesn't get used very often. But yeah. So what what is that? I don't even I don't even know if I know what that is. Uh, hyssop. It's a. It's, it's a leafy green herb, but uh, looks a little bit like lemon balm, but it's got like a sweet um, licorice kind of profile, but it's not nearly as pungent or aggressive as tarragon, yeah.
0: Gotcha. And you said honest hyssop? Honest, like anise. Oh, honest. Ah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got a little se- segment for you. It's called Rapid Fire. Sure. So I'm going to hit you with some, and you uh, you pick which one. All right, so steak or fish? Fish. Wine or Whiskey. Whiskey. Fast cars or motorcycles? Motorcycles. Raw or cooked? Raw. And your death row meal? Ooh. That's hard. <laughs> Is it something you
1: cook? No. <laughs> no, because I don't want to cook on death row. <laughs> that doesn't enough. sound like any fun. Fair enough. Um, honestly, I, I would like, like eight ounces of seared foie gras with French toast. Sign me up. That's, that's what I want. Sign me up. Like if I'm going to go, I want to go with my heart stopping in the process. I hear you. I hear you.
0: All right, man. Well, I appreciate you joining me today. It's been a pleasure. And uh, until next time. All right. Sounds good. <laughs>